This is part three. If you've missed the first two parts of this series, uh, I would encourage you. I know I say this every week. You can check it out on YouTube, Facebook. We got a podcast. You can go to our uh, webpage. You can listen to them. Uh, but this one is important too because we have to. We're going to talk about responses to runaways. And, and the first week I talked about this. If you were here. I said, how many of you ran away from God at one time in your life? And I, it was roughly around 75% of people raised their hand. Right. A lot of times people feel like, oh man, I'm the only one. I'm here. You know, no, it is a very natural tendency for us to drift from the presence of God. Like we're there, circumstances of life happen, whether they're of your own choosing or things that happen, it just happens and we have that tendency. So as we get into today... I want to start uh, state a fact that I know may be a shock to some of you guys, uh, but how many of you realize I'm not perfect? I don't, look at there. My son raised his hand this morning. My wife was right here in the first service, and she raised her hand. I'm like, yes, vote of confidence there. <laughs> uh, let's just be honest. Nobody has everything 100% figured out. True, not me, not your favorite TV preacher that you may have or YouTube pastor. Uh, whoever it is, uh, how many of you realize not even the Pope has it right all the time? Nobody does. It goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. The scripture says this in Romans 3.23, for who? All. Oh, oh, I got a new living translation. For everyone has sinned and all of us fall short of God's standard. Right? Every human being that has ever lived on this planet or ever will live on this planet with the exception of Jesus has sinned and fallen short of God's standard. God's standard is perfection, and we can't meet that. And so in that understanding, I realize I'm not the perfect husband, but I feel like I'm kind of close, okay? I feel that a lot more confident now that my wife is not in here, but uh, this may come as a shock. I'm not the perfect pastor, and, and my kids certainly know I wasn't the perfect father. I'm not always the perfect father, uh, but how many of you realize, as uh, parents, sometimes we don't always respond well when our kids mess up? Isn't that right? Anybody? No, don't raise your hand. Okay. Uh, it's just a reality. Even if they apologize and admit that they did wrong, how many of you know, as a parent, we want to make sure that they really learn that lesson? Right? It's not enough to apologize. It's not enough to accept it and move on. We've got to lecture them on what they did wrong how they did it wrong, how it hurt others, and what they can do in their life to avoid it from this point forward. Anybody ever gotten one of those lectures before? It's like, come on, I admitted I was wrong. Uh, aren't you glad God is a better parent than all of us? Yes. Absolutely. He doesn't like, okay, well, you apologize, let me pile on. A lot of times we have this uh, view that this is God. You know, Michelangelo uh, painted this picture. How many of you know he doesn't have a very good view of God? He's got the angry God pointing the finger, and, and sometimes people feel that's how God must feel about me. And uh, could you imagine if God was like some of us as parents? Like you repent of something, and God says this to you, okay, nice prayer, thanks for asking for forgiveness. Now, even though you did, I'm going to make your life miserable for the next 10 years. Right? Or what if he said, hey, you know what, thanks for confessing, that you haven't treated your wife right, but to make sure you really learn your lesson, and my wife, amen, be on this one too. For the next six months, your wife will always be right every single time. 
And she won't just think she's right. She's actually going to be right. right? And it's like men are like, oh, no. <laughs> or how about this one? Hey, thanks for confessing that you drive like a maniac. But I want to make sure that you really learn your lesson. So from now on, you're going to hit every red light. Every red light. And that old lady in that Toyota that drives 10 miles an hour under the speed limit, she's going to cut in on you at least two or three times a week. You're not going to get around it. So God, he's making you sure you remember it. What about this one? Hey, thanks for asking for forgiveness about not paying your tithes. By the way, I knew that already. But I'm glad you decided to obey me, but it's been way too long. So for the next five years, you're going to owe 30% instead of 10. And after five, after five years, then you're going to owe 20%. At the end of that, we'll see how I'm feeling about you at that time. Or how about this one? I appreciate you wanting to get right. I'm glad you're back. But don't expect a free pass. You messed up. I forgive you, but I'm mad and I want to make sure you learn your lesson. How many of you know that's not how God is? Aren't you thankful for that? A, a lot of times people have a view of God based on their earthly father and how that situation happened. And it's like, oh, is he angry? Is he this? And, and sometimes as fathers, we can distort the view our kids have of our heavenly father. But God is not that way. How many of you know our God is a loving God? And uh, God responds when we ask him for prayer. And when we decide to come home, he, does, he, he welcomes us back. So we've been talking about the prodigal son in Luke 15. So I'm going to back up a little bit and share some stuff. If you've been here the last few weeks, you've heard some of this stuff, but I want to share a little bit again. Uh, the Luke chapter 15 starts out with uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were criticizing Jesus for hanging out with sinners and uh, even eating with them. So Jesus responds with three different parables. The third one is the prodigal son. And in that story, the son represents anybody who has ever left God's presence or, uh, you know, abandoned that way. The father represents God, our father, who loves us. And in the story, the man had two sons. And if you remember, what did I name the youngest son? Who knows? Fred. All right, he's Fred. So I had to come up with a name. I'm going to talk a little bit about the older son. I didn't give him a name, so I thought the appropriate name for Fr uh, Fred's brother would be Barney. <laughs> All right. I almost put a picture of the Flintstones up here, but I'm not doing that. So, uh, but here's the thing. In the story, the dad had a lot of money. Fred got tired of living by dad's rules in the house. He wanted to go it alone because he thought life was better alone. I'm going to do it my way. And uh, a couple weeks ago, JR sang my way, or at least you started it right. And uh, so he asked for his inheritance early, which was an insult to the father. Like, how dare you ask for that? And uh, Fred's father, at the response of him asking that, he yelled at him. And he said, if you think you're getting my money, you're out of, your, out of the will. You can get on out of the house. Nope. Yeah, nope. Did he do that? That's not how the story goes. When Jesus tells the story, really, the dad was heartbroken. He split the money up, gave it to both of his sons. And, and maybe you're thinking, well, how in the world could he allow his son to leave? Why would he have given him that money when he knew he wasn't going to do anything good with it? But I believe that he was a wise father. I believe that, that he understood the truth about people that run away. And the reality is until you find out how bad it is away from home, you don't realize how good you actually had it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? 
Let me just say this. When I was a senior in high school, I couldn't wait to get my own place. I thought I was going to be cool. I had a good job. I had my truck. And, uh, you know, I'd always wanted a motorcycle. And I kept telling my mom, she was like, not while you're living in this house. So the week after I got out of the house, guess what I did? I bought a motorcycle. And I wanted to show my mom. It was a little bit of rebelliousness there. Uh, but I wanted to show her, and I drove that motorcycle up to our house, and, uh, oh, it's having a moment, and uh, it's okay, uh, drove that motorcycle up to my house, and went into my house, and told my mom, guess what I did? That's exactly what she said, and she's probably watching right now, and I don't know, I didn't at that point realize that moms have secret powers. How many of you have known that's true? And it was like, how in the world did you know it? Uh, was she looking out the window? I don't have any idea, but she knew it. But here's the thing. I, I was in that apartment. I graduated high school. I was in that apartment uh, until December and when I got out. But let me say, after moving out, I realized the things that I was missing. I didn't see my mom and dad every day. Uh, having dinner prepared. Uh, the one thing I really wasn't prepared for were those stupid bills that came around every month. <laughs> right? It was different. And, and honestly, I didn't really like that six months in that apartment. And it turns out, after I graduated about three months later, I grew up in Midland, Texas. Uh, my parents, my dad got transferred to Denver, Colorado. So not only did I move out, they moved out. And they moved to a different state. And let me just say, that was tough. And, uh, and I remember, I mean, God did some stuff in my life at that time. I would never want to go back to that apartment. That was horrible. We did Christmas uh, up in Denver, and January I started Bible college. So life was spinning at that age. But isn't it interesting how we take things for granted, and we think uh, things are going to be better elsewhere until all of a sudden it's gone. Right. Isn't that true? It's a fact in all areas of our life. Uh, we don't always see the value of things until you don't have it anymore. Isn't that true? And uh, I've been reading stories, uh, out of, some of them out of this book, some from other things, real testimonies of people that have left God. Some of them have come back. One person said, I never knew how much I would miss the peace and the love and the sense of belonging until I left. Another one said, being on my own, doing my own thing sounded like so much fun, but it really wasn't. And so maybe Fred's dad in this story uh, let him go because he understood that consequences of life is a great teacher. Isn't it true? As parents, some of our greatest mistakes can be found when we don't allow our kids to face the consequences of their decisions. Like if we're constantly rescuing them, helping them, oh, I'll say, oh, I'll do it, oh, I'll do it. And then we wonder, why haven't they learned their lesson? Right? We keep saving them. This father, he was not an enabler. He knew that Fred's best way of learning is going to be the hard way. Right? How many of you have? Uh, how many of you guys went to this school right here? The school of hard knocks. Right? Well, I see a lot of hands. Anybody got your master's degree from that? Right? Your your PhD? Like, oh yeah, I've been to that school. I'm an alumni of that school, but I don't want to support that school. Uh, here's a, an article that I found out of 1918. Out of the I don't know where the Peninsula Enterprise is, but it says uh, much of our education is to be obtained only in the school of hard knocks. There's no age limit, and the sooner we graduate, the better for us. Isn't that true? Now, let me just say, life sometimes throws difficult things at us. That wasn't your fault. 
You didn't do anything to deserve it. Sometimes those hard knocks come that way. But let me just say, most of the things that we encounter the hard way, it was by our own choosing. It was by the bad choices we made, the roads we decided to go down, the, the, the circumstances that we brought about in our own life. And uh, that's not a good place. So honestly, like I said, it happens that way. Now, Fred's dad, he could have forced him to stay home, but he couldn't force him to love him, could he? You're going to stay home. You don't get any money. Uh, that would have made him stay, but that wouldn't have been a good thing. So he wasn't a mean dad. He wasn't angry. He wasn't tired of his son. Like I said, when he left, I'm sure that it broke the dad's heart. Now, I just want to interject here. This isn't a message on parenting, but I believe that there's some important lessons for parents here today. Amen. And what you need to hear from me is that sometimes maybe you've done all that you can do with your child it's all maybe you have to let them go and trust that the life's lessons and god's love will bring them back that's a hard lesson to learn isn't it as a parent because you don't want to you want you want them to be right but the father in this story he represents our heavenly father and the scripture says that never will he leave us never will he what I knew some of you guys knew that. He'll never leave us. But here's the thing that it's not God's will that we leave him. But if we end up deciding to go, guess what? Our loving Heavenly Father will allow us to go. He'll let us to leave that. God's not going to force you to love him because that's not really love, is it? He's not going to twist your arm. So the son, Fred, rich and happy, he takes off. And the scripture said he lost all of his money on wild living and then hard times hit. He's broke, and then a famine hit. He has no money, no food. He got a job feeding pigs. How many of you realize he's in a pitiful situation? Right? Broke, wanting to eat pig food. Like, I'm so hungry, I'll eat pig food. But the Bible says this. Uh, well, there he is right there. It says nobody gave him anything. All the people he was partying with, spending all his money on, once he was out of money, guess what? They were gone too. And now he's hungry. Nobody's giving anything. All of his plans had failed. Doing his own thing didn't work. So he had to make a decision. And like many of us have to make a decision. Do I stay in the pig pen? Do I stay where I'm at? Or do I humble myself and go back to my father? What do I do, right? Hungry or back home where I have a comfortable bed and food. But he had to make that decision. So today I'm talking about two of the characters in this story and uh, they do completely opposite things from each other. So I'm backing up to verse 17 here. It says, when he finally came to his senses, how many of you know that's a good place to be? That's when the light comes on. You stop deceiving yourself. You realize, man, where I'm at stinks. I'm ready to get my life right back to God. So it says, when he came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food have food enough to spare and here i am dying of hunger he goes i will go home to my father and say father i have sinned against both heaven and you i am no longer worthy of being called your son please take me on as a hired servant and it says so he returned home to his father amen hallelujah thank god for that right he made the decision he was a long ways off he had a lot of time to contemplate, am I going to do this? Am I really going for it? He had to, there had to be a little bit of nerves. Like, what is my... Think about this. If you did this and you left like that, wouldn't you be like, oh, no, what's it going to be like if I go back? 
What, are they going to reject me? Is dad going to send somebody out to say, hey, listen, you're not welcome here anymore. You need to get to stepping, right? Kick rocks. Would he yell at me? Would he give me a three-hour lecture and make me do uh, community service for him? Right? What's going to happen? That's the big question. And like I said, I, I've been sharing stories, and a lot of people that have left God's presence have this big fear of how is God going to respond if I come back? How is he going to respond? Will he forgive me? Will he punish me? All of these bad things happening in my life. I, I wonder if God would take me back. I wonder if he would do A lot of people think, oh, no, I've, done, I've heard this so many times. People say, I've done too much that God would never want me back. Anybody ever hear someone say that? Right? Several of you guys. Some of you guys probably have said that. I've done too much because that's what our mind thinks. We have this picture of this angry God that is out there, and we don't know, okay, well, maybe God will let me, but, but he's going to pile on all kinds of consequences. But look what the Father does. While he was still a long ways off, he came, ran to his father, or his son, and said, Ooh, boy, Pee-wee, you stink. You smell like a bunch of pigs, right? No, that's not what he did. It says that he ran to him filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son. I love this. Embraced him, and he kissed him. Amen? You see, the father had been hoping for the son to return. He'd been sitting there waiting for him to come back. Every day, every day, standing, watching, looking down that dirt road on the horizon uh, for somebody coming down that road. Different people may have come. It's like, oh, that's not him. That's not him. But he understood. The father knew that he would never be able to experience joy and the blessings that the father wanted to give unless he came back. He wasn't going to get him out there. And then one day, he saw small, distant figure coming. Somebody was there. Who is that? Who's there? And as soon as he recognized that it was his son, he immediately jumped off the porch or whatever was there, made a beeline for his son, threw his arms around him, even though he had to stink, didn't he? He had to smell of those. Think about this. There was no laundromat on the way. There was no shower on the way. He had to stink pretty bad. But the father didn't care because that's his son. He wrapped his arms around him. Listen, friends, this is a beautiful picture of God's love for each one of us. No matter where you are in this life, God loves you, and he uh, desperately wants you. He's looking on that horizon. Fred was shocked, and instead of being rejected by his father, he was accepted. Now, I believe that it was at that moment when he wrapped his arm that he realized, Dad's love for me has never changed. Isn't that an important thing for us to realize? Sometimes we think God loves us more if we're right in the middle of his will, spending time with him. But if I'm running, well, maybe his love's not as strong. No, God loves us whether we're here or whether we're not. Right? His love does not uh, uh, faint in any of that. So uh, what we have to realize is that God is constantly waiting for you to come home. Amen? Amen? He's waiting for, listen, some of you in this room have family, friends, neighbors that don't know the Lord. He's on the porch looking. He's waiting for you to get there. And guess what? The father didn't just get on the porch with his arms crossed. Oh, there comes my son. Yeah, let's hear this story, you know. Yeah, I, I, you know, he better grovel really good. If he gets up here, he better give me a good reason for me to let him back in. That's not what he did. God, God doesn't make us have to come all the way back. Guess what? He meets us where we are. 
And that's the other fill-in in your notes. God, God will meet you on the road. You don't even have to get all the way back. You just start making the steps to him. What does it say in James 4, 8? It says, come near to God and check it out. God's going to come near to you. We begin to make a step and God is like just right. He's waiting for that step to be made. So listen, whether you've made that recently or in the past, God was already there on you. The very moment you turn your heart to God, he is running there. And listen, what I want us to see is how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all involved in your salvation. And you coming to God is so important. I mean, the first one, how many of you know John 3, 16? Let's, let's say that it's going to be a couple different versions here. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. So God, our father, loves us so much. The reason he loves us is, is that he sent his son to be able to pave a way for us to come back. So the reason we have a way back, first of all, is because God's love. The Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. And he demonstrated that. So why did Jesus have to come? Because before the blood of Christ covers our sin, there was no access to God. You couldn't live the perfect life. Nobody, Even if you tried to follow the Jewish law, how many of you know, all you got to do is break one law. And the Bible says that you're guilty of breaking all of them. So there was no access to God other than throwing yourself on the mercy of God. And Jesus paid that way. So God did that. Jesus made a way. Didn't he say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? And check it out. No one comes to the Father except through Right, not me, but him, right? So he made the way. The way is there. But how many of you know, just because there is a way to God now doesn't mean everybody is walking that path. Isn't that true? How, how is it that you happen to be on that path? Other than the other person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, did exactly what he does, and he brings conviction into our life. The Scripture says that he draws us to him. <laughs> Nobody can come to the Father unless the Holy Spirit draws him. And uh, that's what he does. So this is, uh, this is what the Scripture says in John 16, 7. I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him. Here's, you know, the Holy Spirit does a lot of things. He gives gifts to the church. I mean, prophecy, all of those things. He does a lot of that. But his first thing that he does is draw us to God. And look what he does. It says, when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in three areas. So I want to talk about that. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And in regards to sin, because men do not believe in me. What, what is he saying right here? He goes, men don't believe the road that I made for him. I made a way, but they're not believing it. They're not walking it. I mean, think about this. If you think you're okay, most people, if you ask them if they're a good person, a lot of people say, yeah, well, I'm basically a good person. Basically a good person. Well, I don't do, you know, but if you've ever lied, if you ever cheated, you know, the Ten Commandments expose our sinful heart, don't they? So the reality is we need to be convicted that we have sin in our life. And this is what uh, the word convict out of the Greek, it means to expose, to refute, to show one's fault, implying that there is a convincing of that fault. We got to be convinced sometimes that we're not as good as we think we are. Yeah. 
Well, I give money to the poor. You know, I show up to church. You know, I make sure I get that card punched. I pray every now and then. How many of you know you can do all the right things, but you're still missing the road? The road is through Jesus. And the Holy Spirit convinces us, convicts us of our sin that we're not right with God. And not only just sin, but how about righteousness? If you, what, how does he convince us? The reality, when we're walking in the wrong way, some of you guys can, can testify, you know when you've done wrong, you just don't feel right. Right? There's like an ugliness on you, and you're feeling it, and it's like, oh man, I don't know how to, uh, I don't know how to change that. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you that you're not right with God. And so he does that. Not only that, he convicts us of judgment. I mean, think about this. If you're driving down a road and the bridge is out ahead, but there's no sign, then why would you change directions? Right? You'd keep going. There's no sign. As far as I know, everything's good. And all of a sudden, you know, you go off the edge. Well, the Holy Spirit convicts us that one day we're going to all stand before God. Every one of us has this sense of judgment in our heart, right? Like if somebody does something, how many of you know we want to make sure that they get what they have coming to them. Isn't that true? Especially if they've done something to you. You want to make sure they pay for it, they suffer for it, especially if it's something really, really grievous. There's that desire. But how many of you know, opposite side, we want, hey, I'm sorry. We like mercy. We like grace. But other people have done stuff. We want to make sure they pay for it. And the reality is it's a little twisted way. But the end times, there is going to be a day that we're going to be accountable to God. But if you've got the blood of Christ, how many of you know it's been forgiven? If you stand on your own, uh, good luck, right? So here's the thing. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit did everything possible to draw us into him. And now the Father is waiting for our response. He's waiting for us to, to, to respond to that drawing power that the Holy Spirit does so that he can pour out his love. Friends, this is what I call aggressive grace. This is where our God is actively seeking each one of us. Those of you that have loved ones, people that you know that aren't serving God, can I tell you, the Holy Spirit is on them. They may not feel it. They may not sense it. Uh, keep praying. God has reached. And, and maybe you're here. Maybe you're here today because you know the Holy Spirit. He was after you. Amen. He was pursuing you. That's why I'm serving God today. Amen. It wasn't like, oh, I just woke up and like, oh, man, I just want to go to church. I want to get my life right with God. No, there was something. And, and maybe I thought that. But as years have gone by, I realized it was the Holy Spirit drawing me. Amen. Amen. So uh, think about this. Let me get back to the story. All of this happened in Fred's life before he even repented. He hadn't even repented yet. So uh, sometimes people fear the process of coming back to God. Like, how could I ever go back to church, you know? Uh, let me say, Fred didn't walk alone because what? The father went out to meet him. Amen. And I want to tell you that you don't walk alone either. Your way back, the father is already there with you. He's walking with you, arms around you. God loves you no matter where you are, no matter what path you're on, running. The scripture says this in Romans 8, 20, uh, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to do what? Separate us from the love of God. 
that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to understand God loves people that don't love him. God loves the Judases of this world. One person had made this statement in their testimony. I don't deserve grace, but God says I do. I'm not worth a second chance, but God says that I am. I find it amazing that even when we choose to walk so far from God, even when we choose to participate in negative, disgusting behaviors, he chooses to love us. He chose to love me in my nasty, stinking sin. He chose to love me in my redeemed life as well. His grace, his forgiveness is truly amazing. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken and I'm accepted you were condemned now I'm alive and the spirit is within me because you died and that again I'm forgiven and I'm forgiven because you were forsaken and I'm accepted you were condemned oh now I'm alive well your spirit is within me because you died and
church sing it Jesus you are my king oh you are you are my king Jesus you are my king come on two more times Jesus you faithful God. He is faithful to the saints and to the sinners. He has stood with you. He has stood with you in the fire and the flood. He would remind us, was I not with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego when they were tied up and thrown into the cauldron of fire? And did not the king say, I see four walking around unbound where he stood with them in the midst of the fire and in the flood when he shut the door to save Noah he also saved Noah's sons and wives he stood with those that were in desperate desperate need he wants to remind you of the cry of your heart of desperation when you have no hope And he'd say, though you may have walked closely with me and then strayed, though you may have left, I never left you. Yes, in the midst of your sin, I was with you. When your blood boiled for evil, I was with you. I never left nor forsook you. And when you reached your lowest, the bottom, when all seemed lost, I was with you. Your messes do not 
scare me. Your messes were why I came. Your messes were why I died. Because I love you. And I would not be afraid of messes, sin, nothing. But for your sake. I would just call out to you to say that as I have stood with you in the midst of trial and pain, do not leave me. Stay with me. Stay by my side. Do not exchange any convenience of this world for your relationship with me. Because the Lord desires you above all things. For he gave all he gave all to have all of you he calls you to give all of yourself to him because he wants you yeah thank you you know that's a word from the lord you may not be used to a church that allow the gifts of the spirit to move but uh, nick felt like he had that word and last week shared that it was like all right lord i'm gonna wait but i believe that word was for somebody here today probably several somebodies amen Lord, I thank you that you are here. Lord, that you are here, that you're here to stand by us. Thank you. You can, you can be seated. You know, I want to do something. Uh, usually wait till the end of service, so if you can hang on, Timothy, the rest of you guys can go down if you want. Uh, usually at the end of service, we'll give all people an opportunity, but I feel like the Holy Spirit is here right now. Amen. And listen, if you've wandered, if you've been away, Maybe you've had a foot out the door and you say, you know what, I want to make a fresh commitment to him today. I want to give you that opportunity. And listen, I don't want to embarrass anybody. So I'm just going to ask if you can just bow your head, close your eyes. And if you're here to say, you know what, Pastor, pray for me. I want to make a fresh commitment, a fresh start with God today. Can I just have you raise your hand and then put it back down? Amen. I see several hands. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can we just repeat this prayer? Uh, Some of you guys have heard me say this a lot, but if it's just words out of your mouth, it doesn't mean anything. But if it comes from your heart, God hears that. So I'm just going to have you repeat these words. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me like the prodigal son's dad loved him. Even though I've been gone, even though I've made bad choices, you never stopped loving me. Thank you for making a way back to you through Jesus. So I surrender my heart today. I want to come back to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Simple prayer, but I want to tell you, Holy Spirit has already drawn you. You're here for a reason. It's not an accident that you're here. And let me tell you, the the Father has already got his arms around you. He saw you coming, and he was already running. Amen? Amen. 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 Yes, let's get... There is a, there is joy in that. Amen? Amen. That's not the end of my message. After his father ran home, he experienced that amazing love. And I still remember when I gave my life to the Lord, and it's been a long time ago. But listen, the son finally got to say what he'd been planning. Verse... He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
uh, here's the principle that we need to, to learn is that repentance is always in response to God's love. Yeah. It's not out of guilt. It's not out of condemnation. God doesn't condemn us. We may condemn ourselves and other people may. God doesn't. He shows his love. And so when we repent, it's because of the love of God that has been shown. Romans 2, 4 says this. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads us towards repentance? Hallelujah. All right, can I give that to you out of the Passion Translation? You're like, wait, what is that? Uh, I love what it says. Think about this. Do the riches of his extraordinary kindness make you take him for granted and despise him? Question mark. Haven't you experienced how kind and understanding he has been to you? Don't mistake his tolerance for acceptance. Do you realize that all the wealth of his extravagant kindness is meant to melt your heart and lead you into repentance? Amen. Isn't that good? That's what he does. He's bringing us in. So for us, here's the reality. We tend to make, uh, uh, accept people after they repent. Right? When you apologize, then I'll love you. When you we can start talking about restoration after. Uh, but here's the, here's the principle. We got a second principle. God loves me to and through repentance. Hallelujah. Does that make sense? Uh, like, like it's not like, okay, when you finally come, I'll forgive you. No. He's the one that loves us to the point of surrendering. Then he loves us all the way through it uh, all the time. That's God's extravagant love. And what I want you to understand is that God can use you to love others back to the kingdom. Amen. Amen. So this isn't just about you, because I, I always wonder, while Fred was running, did he ever encounter people that reminded him of his father? People that showed the love of God, that kindness, all of that stuff, because those are things that trigger people to say, man, I remember that's what it was like back with my father. That's what it was like. And so I want you to encourage you when you're in, the, in your daily routine of work, school, whatever it may be, realize that God's kindness can shine through you and be a light to somebody else. Amen? So here's the thing. Fred said his part. The father didn't take an opportunity to say, I told you so. I told you when you went into the world that was what was going to happen. Let me tell you, we want to do that, especially with our kids. Am I right? Told you, but that's not what he did. In response to, to uh, Fred's repentance, the father started giving the servant orders. Look what it said. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. What I want us to see here and important to realize the blessings were not restored until repentance took place, right? God loved him before he repented. God uh, wrapped his arms around him before he repented, but the blessings didn't begin to happen until after the son actually repented. And that's true in our life. God has wonderful blessings for each and every one of us, but when we choose to walk away from the house of God, guess what? The blessings don't belong to us anymore. They're no longer ours. Things go wrong. We make horrible decisions in life. We lose those blessings when we run. But when we return, all of those things are restored. All of the things that we lost. And that's the third principle is that God restores us completely. Amen. Amen? It's a complete restoration. And that's what we get when we come back to him. Amen? 
All of the blessings, all of the, you know, the love, all of that stuff that, that we missed, amen? So that's how the Father responds. That's the way we should respond. But remember this story that we're talking about, the prodigal son. There's the third character, or yeah, third character in it is the older son that I called Barney. He's the one that, uh, uh, remember Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He's basically sharing this story to the Pharisees who were criticizing him. So uh, God, or Jesus has a, a character to represent them, and that is the older son. He represents all the Pharisees, anyone that is the holier-than-thou kind of attitude, religious people that sometimes were like, eh, you're so religious, you know. Uh, how many of you know there's a difference between religion and relationship? Amen. All right, you guys realize that. There's a lot of people, I just do my thing, you know, I'm just do, I came to church, I paid my tithes, I did this. Uh, that doesn't mean you have a relationship. Can I give you an old cliche? Just because uh, you're in McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. So just because you're in a church doesn't make you a Christian. All right? There's got to be an actual relationship. So that's who Barney represents in this story, all of those people. So let's look at what the scripture says about him, what Jesus said about him. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him, what's going on? And he says, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And check out the older brother's response. He became angry and refused to go in. That's a bad attitude, right? And as we look, here's the thing. The father loves uh, his younger son that ran away. But how many of you realize he loves his older son too? There's no separation there. He loves Barney as well. So in verse 28, uh, the end of it, his father went out and pleaded with him. It's like there's a celebration that's going on, but he still loves his older son as well. So he's going to go out there to him. And I, I understand a lot of times when we read the scripture, we read about the Pharisees and we're like, man, they were a bunch of jerks, you know. They, you know. And, and sometimes people have this idea of people that are just kind of religious, a little mean. And it's like, ah, yeah, you're just a bunch of jerks like that. Uh, let me say, don't think that way because God loves everybody. Right? Those that are know that they're sinners, those that think that they got it all together. A lot of people think that they got it all together. Listen, don't treat anybody any different because a religious person is just as lost as somebody that's running away. The only problem is they don't know it. So it's actually a little bit more of a desperate situation. So don't, don't get on your high horse thinking, uh, oh yeah, that person, because you can become that same person too. So look at Barney's reason for being mad. He goes, he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Let me just say, this shows that the older son was very selfish. He didn't care about his brother who was lost. But uh, here's the thing. That, he, wasn't, he was only concerned about himself. What I want, what I want. But I love the father pleaded with him again, verse 31. He says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Amen. That's when you're in the presence of God. How many of you know we're always with him and everything God has for us, it's ours. But then he goes on to say in verse 32, but we had to celebrate and be glad. 
because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he was found. And you know what stood out to me when I read it this time is the had to. You know, when you have to do something, it's like you don't have any option, right? Like when I hold my breath, listen, I have to take a breath. I have to or else I die. I looked at the little Greek in it. It says uh, when had to means it is necessary. It is a must, a must. It is necessary to have to have often implying inevitability like this is going to happen. And uh, when somebody is lost and comes back, God doesn't like, well, you know what? You know, I don't know how big of a party we'll have for him. No, he has to celebrate because he loves each one of us so much that it's not like, oh, man, I finally got this person home. No, he does that for everybody. Sometimes people think, yeah, well, you know what? It wasn't a big celebration when I came home. No, it was a celebration. You know, those of you in the room, those that are watching online, uh, the day you gave your life to the Lord, God says, I have to celebrate. Amen? I have to celebrate. I have to throw a party. I, you know, when, when, if there were people in here earlier that, that made a fresh commitment, how many of you know there was a party going on? Amen. God didn't say, well, you know what, they've done this before. We're not going to do it again. Oh, no, God says we're celebrating. It's on. We're doing that. Uh, as Jesus told these three parables in Luke 15, the first one was about the, the hundred sheep. One went astray. He went after the one. When he came back, so I'm backing up a few verses all the way to seven. It says, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner lost who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Amen. So what, what I'm wanting you to grab hold of is God is excited about you being home. I know sometimes we drag in here and it's like, oh, worship, you know what? I just kind of barely made it and, and maybe half-hearted. But let me tell you, God is like, yes. Every time you get in God's presence, it could be Monday morning and you're taking some time. God celebrates that. Amen. Amen? We're getting ready to close. Listen, several of you guys made a, a commitment that is awesome and there is a celebration. But I know in this room as well that there are many people that have family have friends, maybe kids, grandkids, spouse, mom, dad that don't know the Lord? How many of you have somebody in your family that you're praying for that doesn't know Christ? Amen. Let's see some hands there. There's most of, most, I don't know, many families that aren't. And so uh, as I was praying this morning, I'm going to have Pat and Sean come up uh, because they know that path. And uh, I'm going to have them pray and maybe share something. I've just kind of given them freedom to uh, whatever the Lord leads, but... We want to pray. So if, listen, if you're praying for somebody in your family, I'm going to have you stand up as a sign of agreement. That you're in agreement with whatever, whatever it is that uh, that person. So uh, by your standing, you're saying, listen, I'm lifting my prayer. So I'm just going to let him have it. <laughs> so I'm going to take a little liberty, Pastor. Yes, please do. All right. Um, the Lord dropped something in my spirit when we were singing, Come Let Us Adore Him. Uh, we've all heard that song so many times, and the Lord just spoke to me about, do you adore your husband? Is he the Lord of your house? And how easy it was to adore him. We've been married 31 years. How easy it was to adore him when we were in our infant stage, and right, infant stage of marriage, but then as things have transpired and especially with our sons we have two sons 
137 and 128, along with our seven-year-old Samantha. Um, but as things have transpired and working through our difficulties with our sons, um, I also felt uh, just led to do high-level uh, testimony. Our oldest son has been in and out of prison uh, since he was 15. Um, and that's our, yeah, grew up in a Christian home, um, lived with missionaries for two years, just could go on about that. He's in right now. He's locked up right now. Prayfully, we'll get out uh, next September and stay out is our, is our prayer. Um, and then our youngest son, he lives an alternative lifestyle. And it's been a journey, let me tell you. And how the enemy has tried to come in and bring division between the two of us. And how when that song was played, I just felt so strong that I have to purpose in my heart and to adore him and not let those things uh, where we have disagreement or see it differently related to our uh, wayward children uh, come between the two of us. We took a picture, I don't know, it was a few years after we were married and I'm kind of looking at him like this. And uh, the Lord just brought that back to me and how I have to purpose to adore him regardless of our differences. He handles our sons way different than I handle our sons. Um, but nonetheless, I felt like I needed to pray for those uh, husbands and wives who have wayward children uh, and the enemy tries to bring that division. So I'm just going to pray real quick before we go. Okay. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for your love. I thank you for dropping this in my spirit today. I thank you for marriage, Lord. I thank you for marriage between a husband and a wife. I thank you for the family unit. We just say no to the enemy that would try to bring division within our families. We say no, you get back to the pit of hell where you belong. Lord, I thank you for rekindling the love in the marriage and just honoring and supporting the differences, not allowing that wedge to come in, Lord. I thank you for uh, the women that adore their husbands, Lord. If they haven't adored them in a long time, I ask by the Holy Spirit that they would just be convicted to adore and love and cherish the differences. And the same thing with the husband, Lord. I ask that he would look beyond the differences and love her and that love would be rekindled in their relationship. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for the restoration within relationship. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> the Lord is just and good, amen? You know, we all have friends and family, children, loved ones that are running from God, but there's also a place within each of us that we may have some prodigal mentalities. We may have some junk drawers in our lives that we don't let God get into. We may have some sin nature that keeps us away from God in certain areas of our lives. The prodigal isn't just an, an individual, it is facets of who we are that if we don't keep control of or we don't keep mind of, we separate ourselves from the Father's closeness. Amen? And it's one of those things, you know, Pastor talked about it this morning. If we're not careful, we drift away. The separation between God's presence in our lives is it's, it's, uh, 
it, it, it can happen very slowly. And we have to be mindful of that. Amen? Amen. So as we lift up our loved ones, this is a season of hope and thanksgiving. Amen? We're excited for the season we go into because this is the time we acknowledge God's promise to bring the deliverer. And we celebrate this season not as a baby, but what was to come and what is still yet to come. Amen? So let's be hopeful for our prodigals this morning. Let's, let's look out as the father looked out at the end of the road, the driveway, and he saw that wasn't the first time he ever looked out. So we have to stand in the gap. There's the point between coming to the rightness and getting home. Remember, he came from a far-off country. So we had a long way to go to get home and a lot of thinking to do. So we have to keep standing in that position for them, to pray them out of incarceration and into, the, the, into their rightness, to pray them out of their addictions and into the rightness of thoughts and of lifestyle. Not so that they can be square, but so that they can live in the fullness of who they were called to be. Amen? Father, we lift all of our loved ones to you this morning. Our sons and our daughters, our husbands and our wives, our cousins, our sisters, our brothers, Lord, our children, we bring them to your neighbors that are in a wayward state, those that have drifted from you, God, that may know you by understanding, or Lord, that they've drifted so far that they don't even believe they have a place in your dwelling anymore. I thank you, Lord, that you made it clear that you would never leave us nor forsake us. I thank you, Lord, that you said that you would always make a way where there seemed to be no way. I thank you, God, that you always said that there is a way out of sin and evil and that there was always a position and every, that every trap that was going to be set would be set off before we fell into it if we wanted it. So I pray for each one of us tonight, God, or today. I thank you for our children, our all, those who are in a, in, a, in a... I thank you that they're in a prodigal state, that they have yet to come to their rightness. But Lord, that, that our hope, that our faith, and that our love still is directed towards you're drawing them back home to your goodness. And that, Lord, even as you show us through the, through the word, that you put a new robe on his back, that you put a new ring on his finger, and that you put a new, new shoes on his feet, you gave him a new walk. You gave him that ring of authority. You, you reinstated that in him, God. And you put a new mantle upon him, a, new, a, new, a fresh walk, a fresh newness of life. And we know, Lord, that in every mentality we have, there is that same promise. So I pray right now, God, that we would be honest with you and that we would come back to your goodness through our own prodigal mentalities that have kept us separated from you through religion and through false realities or through angry emotions or through sin nature, the things that plague us, God. I pray that you would free us from this as we're being honest with you as we come to our rightness in Jesus' name. And that, Lord, that as we continue to lift up our loved ones, we know that your gaze is never too far from them, God. That your hand is never far from them. That you're always willing and ready to snatch them up as they call upon your great name. And so we stand in that truth this morning. I think of the heart of the mother. The heart of the mother who grieves for her children and for those around her, Father. For the things that they do and the lives that they live that are foolish. I pray, Lord, right now that you would begin to minister to their hearts. That they would stand in faith. That they would stand in hope. That they would stand in love. Knowing that you are the fullness of all three of those things. And that you are never, ever willing to forget any one of our prayers. And so we thank you this morning for the hearts of mothers and parents and fathers and marriages as you continue to bless us in this season. By faith, we say these things to be done and true. And we thank you, Lord, in advance for those wayward friends and family and children to come home to you. We bless you and praise you for your faithfulness. When we're not faithful, you are ever faithful. And we praise you for that this morning. In Jesus' name. If the prayer team could come forward, uh, the prayer team, and... 
If you want prayer uh, for a prodigal in your family, I'd like you to come forward so we could uh, pray for you, pray with you, agree with you.